Risk is all around us. Impossible to eliminate, necessary to manage. Here on Ag Market Outlook, we tackle the market risks inherent in producing farm products and discuss strategies to manage that risk. You've studied the agronomy, Dwayne's studied the markets. After listening, be sure to check out our website at cropproductionscience.com. Email Dwayne at dwaynel at netins.net or call him at 563-419-1300. Let's get started on today's episode. Hello and welcome to Ag Market Outlook. I'm your host, Dwayne Lowry. This is Season 2, Episode 1, October 18th, 2020. Thanks for listening and let's get started. This week's topics, we're going to focus a lot on Market Outlook and 2020 post-harvest strategies for farm-stored grain, uh, the need to recognize market risk regarding 2021 production, how to approach the winter lender meetings regarding 2021 financing, and of course, our signature market outlook for Sunday night this week and beyond. Let's get started with, regarding what's around this week weekend for news. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot of market-specific news, but there's a lot of things going on that's creating an environment that I think is a little bit troubling. Um, this started about a week or so ago that you could find some stories making U.S.-China trade uh, tensions seem to be uh, ongoing and maybe bubbling under the surface kind of in a manner that maybe this stuff is being kept a lid on it um, because of the U.S. election, both maybe a little bit from China, but mostly on the U.S. side. If you stop and think about it, you haven't heard President Trump talk about uh, tr China or trade or anything. He's not creating any sort of uh, uh, adversity there. Um, and Vi Vice President uh, Biden, uh, we really haven't heard hardly anything from him one way or the other. So I don't think that's really a factor. Uh, you also got um, uh, Vice President Biden in the news because of his son Hunter. The latest developments there so far that is really only found on fox news and conservative uh, media uh, it's not it's still being kept with a lid on it in the mainstream media i don't know if that's going to continue or not uh, but that seems to be kind of troubling it's kind of one of those october surprises and if that gets into the mainstream media uh, despite their efforts to kind of downplay it um, I think that would probably be uh, a little detrimental to uh, Vice President Biden, might shift the uh, momentum a little bit more towards President Trump. There's a lot of different views how this U.S. election will turn out, of course, and then there's an even more uh, larger number of views about what post-election uh, might look like regarding market influences. Um, my concern is no matter who wins, um, after a knee-jerk reaction one way or the other, I'm afraid the uh, uh, post-election environment might not be all that supportive for commodity markets in general. Um, not sure about stocks. I think that would depend a lot as to who wins. As far as agriculture is concerned, I think it's important for everybody to, to recognize and realize that once the election is over, the incentive for politicians on either side of the aisle to uh, provide funding to agriculture is probably significantly reduced. And to the extent um, uh, agriculture is seen as pro-Trump and, and rural America is seen as pro-Trump, if he were to lose this election and the Democrats were to gain momentum, uh, the winner, the victor after an election 
all those supporters start to line up for their uh, payback, so to speak, from uh, supporting the winning candidate. And uh, if President Trump loses, agriculture will be at a disadvantage, whether that's justified or not. They'll be seen as uh, supporting Trump. And um, with all the tensions that we have and the divisions that we have, um, I'm concerned that creates an even heightened level of um, you know, retribution almost against agriculture uh, in the months following this election if President Trump doesn't win. So I, I'm concerned that could be a problem. So I have a fair amount of concerns about the election and, and how it's going to affect markets, and I'm struggling to see how it's going to be positive. Maybe it won't be, have any impact, but I'm afraid if there is a reaction, it's probably going to be negative. Um, also over the weekend, Pfizer uh, expects to have emergency use of a vaccine for COVID-19 by late November. Um, the federal government announced a deal with Walgreens and CVS to provide free vaccines to long-term uh, care residents. Uh, Europe is facing pr uh, increasing pressures to have lockdowns. Belgium has shut down bars and restaurants and all of this type of uh, storyline. None of that is supportive to markets in general. None of it's supportive to economic growth. And that's lurking in the background as well. And with, you know, going into a winter period, fall period, you have to assume that flu season is going to be on the rise. So I think it's important to remember that again. Um, last week's price trends, corn and wheat performed well. Beans were on the defensive. It was a very wild and erratic week with the market spending the vast majority of time in negative territory, actually finishing down 15 cents in, in beans. But as recently as uh, the Thursday night, Friday morning trade, we were trading higher on the week. So it was, it was a very volatile week. Um, to the extent that it affects uh, agricultural demand, um, I'm a little bit concerned about what I see in hogs and cattle. Uh, they both had, uh, well, the cattle had a lower week the hogs had an up week, but they finished on a, somewhat of a questionable note. They all have a, a rally that's been a little bit mature, and uh, I see both of them as vulnerable. Um, that kind of ties in with the post-election concerns that I have. So I see a lot of market signals that might be poised for some sort of weakness, and with the election right around the corner, I'm afraid that that type of thing um, makes me concerned that the post-election narrative um, regardless of who wins, may not be all that supportive. So um, on Friday afternoon, of course, we get the Commitment of Traders report. The uh, funds are along 171,000 contracts of corn. That was up 36,000 from last week. Um, I don't think that was maybe up quite as much as they expected, but also quite a bit of buying energy occurred from Wednesday on last week. And this report is always as of Tuesday's settlement. So the longs are probably larger than that. Um, that's getting to be maybe a little bit top heavy, certainly top heavy for this time of year. Harvest is advancing rapidly. It's difficult to find a bean field that's not been harvested. If you drive around for a couple hours, corn is rapidly coming out. Um, sometimes the selling pressure from the farm side occurs more in the final stages of harvest than it does at either the beginning or the middle. So I, I'm a little bit concerned about that uh, being pressure on the markets here over the next couple of weeks. The um, 
Funds are long 226,000 contracts of beans. That was down about 12,000 from the previous week. Um, the market during that time frame of the reporting period was, was exactly unchanged. Since that report, the market was up six cents. Um, I'm not sure what to read into that commitment of traders development where beans longs were down, but I think that it's important to take a step back view of the bean market and realize that soybean oil was the upside leader here for a long time that went back into uh, you know March, April, May timeframe. And it was kind of a, a steady uh, leader and definitely the leader of the complex. And yet it topped out on September 18th, had a sizable break along with when beans had a 60 cent break. Beans have come up, made new highs. Meal has taken over leadership and has performed well, but the soybean oil can't even get back to where it was in, in uh, September. And since that was leader, I find that troubling. I also find it telling that the uh, length and the focus of where that length was in the sponsorship and the bean complex in the soybean oil, it's left. It's no longer there. It's not sponsoring it. It's, you know, everything we've had since September 18th has been distribution action going from strong hands, in my opinion, into weak hands, in my opinion. You got to remember the people that are most bullish now were also those that were most bearish through the summer. And I find that troubling. So I think there's been a massive redistribution of who's holding the long positions here. And I don't particularly like the makeup of who I think is holding in the long positions right now. And so I think this commitment traders report shows a little bit of that distribution action taking place. Um, so I find that as a concern. Um, we talk about weather. Um, I don't like talking about weather too much at this time of year, especially when it comes to South America or even wheat related dryness. But the key points of, of weather this week probably are that uh, over the next 10 days, we'll start to see more uh, harvest disruptions in the Midwest than we've seen before. I don't think they'll be long lasting. I don't think they'll be significant. But during these disruptions, when you're this far into harvest, it does open up an opportunity where maybe producer sales activity might increase as they by this time have got a good handle where their yields are going to be. They have a good handle, of course, where the price is at, and they can start to make some determination about how this dollar is up. The other things about weather, South American weather, I think it's way too early to be talking about it. And I've been saying that the last few weeks, but the marketplace has wanted to talk about it being too dry in Brazil, delaying plantings. Um, it is true that they are behind schedule. They're, they're probably behind schedule by one to two weeks. Um, I don't think that's really that detrimental to their production potential. It might be detrimental to the timing about when they're able to come in with a large export program and start to take business opportunities away from the U.S. It is probably important in terms of how it will affect their uh, uh, second corn crop. So that might be a little bit of a threat, but we're not outside of the window that we've seen in, in other years. So I don't consider it to be that big a deal. The uh, forecast over the next two weeks has been improving for the past several days. Not always something that you could see reacted to in a market on a day-to-day -day basis, but for all practical purposes, to the extent that South American, specifically Brazilian dryness was a market issue over the last several days, that doesn't exist in the current forecast. I would have to say the weather outlook there over the next two weeks is rather favorable. Uh, Russian dryness uh, in their winter wheat areas, especially the southern areas and eastern areas, uh, it remains a problem. They've had some improvement in moisture. 
They've probably still got 35, 40% of their region is too dry. Um, that could hurt production, hurt final uh, planted acreage. Um, it's not too late yet, but uh, we've had some improvement in the weather forecast, but not all areas. And then when we get this improvement of forecast, then some, you know, a few days later that moisture is removed. I think we walk in here tonight and we have a little bit of that going on where some of the expected moisture that may have been around last week has been removed. Um, the wheat market acts as if it's got people in trouble, got people short, both outright people trying to be short. I think there was also a period of time where a lot of people were trying to be short wheat, long corn. Um, that's not working right at the moment. And the, the market acts like it's trying to, to uh, blow people out of positions there. Um, I think that means wheat may have another couple of days of strength here. So I wonder if that's not going to provide, you know, a tone that, that uh, spills over into all our markets here on Sunday night. Um, so I think, I think wheat will probably be a little bit higher based on the weather. The uh, corn market has um, achieved upside targets as far as I'm concerned. Current values are, you know, uh, in long-term resistance areas. We have seen the spreads tighten, which I've been talking about for weeks, and uh, we've seen uh, carry largely removed. I remember Deese July was 27 cents, then it was 19. It got into like four cents on uh, Thursday, and uh, spreads weakened up a, a little bit on Friday. But the incentive to store corn, which did exist prior to a couple of weeks ago, um, that now has rapidly gotten to the point where even people that put um, hedges out into the July with the intention that they would probably store that grain into winter, now they're starting to have to rethink this and say, well, maybe some of these last bushels, I won't do that uh, because of the carry and basis values. So the incentive to put it in the bin has is, is quickly been you know, largely removed. If people are storing it now, they're storing it out of habit. They're storing it because they're, they're bullish or optimistic. They're not really storing it based on basis or spreads or, or amount of carry offered. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good decision or not, but we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But at the end of the day, it's important to recognize that the corn market is doing its job to try to trigger sales. And uh, with the harvest, you know, 50% plus done, um, where we a lot of times get farmers selling at the end, uh, middle to the end, I think there's a good chance the cash pipeline um, will get um, to a more comfortable level. Um, and I think that the uh, market has already done and put in place the things necessary to make that happen. Uh, if that is all true, then, then it's also true that a lot of this bullishness, uh, tightness, whatever you want to call it, has been discounted in current prices. Um, I think that leaves a lot of limitation as to what kind of further strength that we should expect. In the case of corn, it's also important to point out that U.S. is no longer the uh, cheapest origin. It's no longer uh, without competition. Uh, you have Ukraine that's going to be back online with their production. It uh, looks like they're probably going to have exports similar to last year. Um, it's also possible that they could be very front-loaded with their exports this year, just like they were last year. That would also take away some business. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I'm a little bit concerned that there are some trade tensions brewing uh, behind the scenes with U.S. and China that's, 
not necessarily making the news and, and the participants on the U.S. side really don't want it to be a news item going into the election. But after the election, I'm a little bit concerned what that looks like. We know China has been extremely aggressive in uh, importing beans at a, at a very fast pace, and that's not just from the U.S., and it's not just something over the last few months. This is an aggressive import pace that they've had from the beginning of the year. They clearly are building stocks. This is not all about demand only. Um, that makes uh, one at least respect the possibility that we get post-election that uh, China's in a position that if they wanted to slow down U.S. imports, they certainly could. Um, I think that's something that we have to be concerned about. Um, and and uh, I'm not really making it as a prediction, but I am throwing it out there to make sure people recognize there are some risks here uh, to the long side, and there are some risks to holding inventory, and I think that's a, a big one, and uh, I think it's something that might come to light here after the election. Um, if the U.S. is no longer the most competitive uh, market, that means the global uh, pricing mechanism is largely price in uh, for supplies to come from other sources. Um, I think that's a concern, and it's a concern that probably limits near-term strength potential. It might be a concern that limits basis, although I tend to believe that uh, we have overall conditions that will keep basis um, relatively firm on the historical side, probably at least into the uh, January-February period. After that, uh, I'm not so sure. Um, I also think that um, it's important to look at um, other factors involving demand. If the U.S. livestock industry is still somewhat fragile, and if it's true that we start to see a weakness there, or we start to see a weakness in equities, or a weakness in the general economic outlook globally, I think that's a concern. And I think to some extent, we've priced in a lot of optimism here, and we have to be concerned about those types of things. As far as soybeans are concerned, here again, I think the right way to look at this is that the bean market topped out on the 18th of September. We had a 60 cent break, we've come up, we've made new highs, we've been oscillating here for a couple of weeks, churning up here in that area that is just above the highs that were made in, in uh, mid-September. The soybean oil, which was not the leader, is not participating in this. Some people will say, yeah, but look at meal. That's, that's really good that meal's a strong component. It is a, a good thing if that was a lasting scenario, but I'm not confident that's a lasting scenario. For a long time, meal's been a dog, and I'm afraid that this is a temporary you know, show of life by meal, but I'm not, I don't think it's long lasting. And so I'm, I'm gonna revert back to the idea and the warning that I think is being presented with soybean oil topping in September not even coming back to these levels and I'm concerned that this probe above those levels in beans over the last two or three weeks I think it's a very temporary thing and I think it's vulnerable to a very sizable decline with South American weather forecast over the next two weeks looking favorable you get the crop planted off to a good start adequate moisture there you know History and, and uh, uh, would suggest that it's difficult to build a weather scenario uh, that is bullish at this time. Now, if you want to get into December, January, that becomes a different calculation. But right now, we have a period of time over the next six weeks at least where we could see some weakness there. 
So I'm concerned about that. The technical conditions in beans, I think, are very close to a decline. Like I said before, we've had a transfer of ownership from one type of trader into the hands of a different type of trader. I think that trader is very vulnerable to weakness here. I think the technical conditions warn of that. Because the cash market basis has been good, because the spread's inverted, um, the producer has virtually no incentive to store the physical crop. Um, we certainly have seen a larger amount of sales this year from the farm sector than we've seen in other years. But we've started to get the farmer bullish, even though they were bearish before. Now I think to a large extent they're bullish. Now they don't want to make sales. I think that's very likely a mistake, at least a mistake over the next several weeks. Um, if there's a South American problem, maybe that becomes different. But, you know, at crop production science, we're trying to manage risk. We can't eliminate risk. It's always there. We try to identify risks that are there that, that producers um, are dealing with, but they don't even realize it. Like un for a 2021 production, it's a real risk. It's out there. It's something you're going to grow. Uh, but if people aren't thinking about it and they're not pricing it, they think of it that it's not even a risk that exists, but that's not true. In the case of the beans, you have a choice. You can uh, choose to hold inventory and assume that risk, or you can make the sale and you transfer your risk away from that to a risk of missed opportunity about what's ahead. I would much rather assume the risk of missed opportunity for several weeks get the the uh, take advantage of the prices offered get that sold get it priced up there will be other opportunities down the road to replace with call options if you want but for the time being i think job one is to protect that price the soybean market to me looks very vulnerable the spreads look vulnerable meaning the weakness may come in the front end um, the new crop outlook actually is probably pretty friendly <clears throat> because we need more u.s acres for beans but the problem is we've got them. We had 10 million acres in prevent plant in 2020. This year, we have to assume going forward, it'll be something more normal, say three or four or five million acres. So there's probably five or seven million more acres that come, come into wheat, corn, or soybeans. Um, at the present time, uh, we probably have some increase in corn acres, and we certainly probably have an increase in bean acres. Uh, but we need that increase in bean acres. In the case of corn, we don't need the increase in acres. If you have equal acres, trend line yields, we're going to add to carry out. Um, that's a, a burden that I think will be weighing on market sentiment going into March. There's a, that's another reason I think the focus needs to be on getting some 2021 sales on the books. Um, so lastly, I kind of want to talk about that, the 2021 marketing. Um, everybody's going to have uh, conversations with lenders here in, in the, over the next several weeks post-harvest. And some of those conversations will be difficult. Fortunately, they're going to be much less difficult today than they would have been if those discussions had to take place on the 1st of August. So that's a good thing. Um, crop insurance, for most people, that has not been set, won't be set till February. So you have a risk of of prices declining before that period. If you had did margin protection this last fall, you now have a floor in. That floor creates marketing opportunities that other people won't have, so that's a plus. But current values are probably 30 cents above what is guaranteed by that margin protection crop insurance plan. 
30 cents a bushel on 200 bushel acre corn is $60 an acre, okay? There's incentive here to make some sales on DS21 um, because of that to take away some of that risk plus the unknown risk of where, where, where your crop insurance price will be by the time February rolls around. I think as you go to approach that lender, if you walk in there with have some sales on the books here at 390, 395 basis December 21, that conversation is going to go a lot better. And so I think you should seriously take a look at that. These numbers may not be everything that you want, but they're a good starting point. If you're willing to use futures and options making these sales in the cash market, that's not the end of the game. That's just the first few innings, and you got plenty of opportunities in the weeks and months ahead to do something in options to try to enhance that sale. But for right now, I think uh, that's an area where the marketplace is, is too complacent, not seeing the opportunity and not recognizing the risk. Uh, if you got questions about that, please give me a call. You can go to cropproductionscience.com, get my contact information. It's also at the beginning of the podcast, and it'll be at the end of the podcast as well. So reach out. Let's have a conversation. Um, I do this podcast to provide information um, and outlook hopefully provides value to you. At the same token, I'm providing the podcast as a way of an introduction to a relationship that I want to have with customers and prospects. So it's a tool for me to, to reach out and, and try to um, build my clientele base. Whether or not um, I'm a good fit for your operation, we'll never know until we have a conversation. So if you have any interest, please reach out and let's have a conversation. As far as uh, Sunday night's trade, tonight's trade and this week in general, I think we're gonna start out relatively unchanged. Um, I think the wheat market may be firm. I think the corn market after Friday's decline uh, is still in a position where it might reject weakness and might quickly try to recover some of Friday's losses. I wouldn't be surprised that uh, early this week we'll have a new high settlement in corn. Um, in the case of beans, um, we might see some mixed calls with some weakness because of South American weather looking non-threatening, Friday's poor, poor performance. But sometime between tonight and tomorrow, I would imagine the market will try to recover a little bit or some of yesterday or Friday's losses. So look for trade on both sides tonight. Wheat may be firm. Uh, corn might very well reject weakness. And I wouldn't be surprised soybeans reject weakness as the night and, and tomorrow rolls along. Extending beyond Monday, Sunday night Monday, I think the bean market's gonna be very vulnerable. Very difficult to maintain recent levels. I think Friday's weakness is a, a warning. Friday morning we had very large export sales. We had a lot of bullish enthusiasm in the marketplace and the price action was terrible. The spreads weakened. Uh, so I think that's a warning sign. So if we get some strength early this week, uh, don't be very trustful of that. Um, as far as after this week, as we get into the election, I am much more concerned about prices eroding than I am of prices increasing. I think the post-election environment, no matter who wins, is going to have a lot of uncertainty and unease, probably unrest. And I don't think any of that is positive our markets. Since we're on the upper side in what would be, have to be seen as a counter-seasonal period where, have, where we're having strength and making highs at harvest time. A lot of times those type of scenarios tend to 
play defensive over the next few and several months. And there's going to be many days, in my opinion, where you're going to look back while the calendar says November, December, January, and say, gee, I wish that had made more sales in September, October at harvest time. So I would encourage you to look at the revenue offered, um, factor in the, the government support payments that have been there. Uh, for most situations, people have opportunities to make 2020 a very good year. And I think that uh, all things that we've been through in 2020, I don't think that's a bad thing to walk away in that position. The new crop 2021 values in, in the case of corn are relatively attractive, attractive enough to, to uh, warrant some hedging and pricing activity, the scope of which depends on how much you're willing to uh, transfer ownership back and forth with, via options and, and futures. Um, in the case of beans, I'm probably less likely to be concerned about making new crop bean sales because I think overall global demand is going to be good. I think the U.S. must expand acreage in beans, and that's not going to happen if we retreat prices too much here during the winter months. So I think there's some level of you know, downside limitations in beans, but that doesn't mean we can't see November of 21 beans drop 40 or 50 cents. And I am very concerned that the nearby contracts of beans could see as much as a dollar weakness here over the next, you know, 60 or 90 days. So I'm very concerned about that. So thanks a lot for the opportunity to uh, uh, share my thoughts with you this week. Um, thanks for your time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to discuss your individual risk management needs, please call Dwayne Lowry at 563-419-1300. Also, be sure to check out Crop Production Science LLC at cropproductionscience.com. If you found today's discussion informative, make sure you share this episode with other producers and follow the podcast. Ag Market Outlook can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public.